The PWC Network. What the world is watching and listening to.
Hello again, everyone, and welcome back to a brand new and, dare I say, very special edition of Ariel Meets right here on BT Sport. You know this man. He is one of the most talked about men in combat sports right now. And dare I say as well, if I would have to pick one person in the world of pro wrestling, MMA, boxing, who I'd want to talk to right now, it would be this guy. He is the new head of creative for WWE. Of course, he's also the EVP of talent relations. He's the game. He's the king of kings. He's the cerebral assassin. He's the inimitable. He's the incomparable. He's the one and only Paul Levesque, a.k.a. Triple H. Wow, that's a hell of an introduction. Right How there. are you, sir? I'm great, man. Thank How you so you? much for this. It's good to see you. Yeah, it's such an honor to talk to you. First time one-on-one. -on -one. We did yeah. it once long ago with Tyson Fury, and it's really true. I was telling someone earlier, offer me anyone in MMA, boxing, pro wrestling right now, you're at the top of the list. You're wow. the most talked about guy right now, and everyone wants to hear from wow. you, so I really appreciate this. Well, I appreciate it. I appreciate the time, too. It's, uh, I've always appreciated your love of not only combat sports, but just of what we do and, and just um, your understanding of it. It's just funny. Sometimes people have a, an appreciation for it, and they want to be involved in it, but they don't really fully appreciate it their whole lives. You do, and I've always respected that and think it's very cool. Thank you. And speaking of that, uh, 1992... SummerSlam, Wembley, the last time yeah. WWE was here for a major stadium premium live event, right? Yeah. And uh, Bret Hart was my guy. I was in love with him, wanted him to win that night. I'm just curious, as a longtime fan as well, where were you that night in 1992? Do you remember oh watching gosh. that event? I, I do. Where was I? I don't really know. I think somewhere that, that was right around the time that I was entering into the business, having my first matches and, and all of that. So obviously it would have been a very big event for me, it, you know, at that point in time, paying such close attention to the business. And it's funny, I do remember watching all of it, but I don't remember where I was to actually watch it. The reason I asked that question is because you were just about to get into the business, yeah. right? You were about to get your feet wet and you're about to start this Hall of Fame career. And I'm wondering, forget about the career, forget about what you actually accomplished in the ring as a performer. If someone would have told you back then, 30 years later, you'd be in the spot that you're in now with the job that you're in as the captain of the ship, so to speak. Would you believe, like, was that even on the radar? Was that even a dream, a, a pipe dream? No, laughable. Like, it would have been laughable. All of it, you know, to me, you know, it's funny, you, you talk about careers when you first get started, right? You just, you start out wanting to accomplish certain things, and, and I wanted to be great at this, but I also thought, oh, I'll retire by the time I'm 35. Hopefully I'll make enough money, retire by the time I'm 35. Like, it's just your right. grandiose kid ideas of, of where things will go. Um, but to, to be able to think of the career I've had, you know, I've, I've stood at curtains when I first came to WWE and stood at curtains with Stone Cold Steve Austin with, <clears throat> you know, barely filled buildings saying, Do you, man, imagine if it ever, I wonder if it'll ever get as big as it was, you know, in that Hogan era or, or I wonder if it would, you know, ever approach that even. And then, you know, months later, we would be in the midst of the Attitude Era and this run of selling out everywhere and just unbelievable, crazy time in the business that we sort of didn't even know was, we knew it was happening. We knew it was unbelievably good, but, you know, on some level, it was just Tuesday and you were just doing your gig. Um, hard to appreciate when you're in the thick of it. Um, to, to be able to go through then the, just just the rest of my in-ring career alone, unthinkable. Uh, there was a moment for me when uh, Steph and I got married and Michael Hayes sang at my wedding 
first song was Jailhouse Rock was amazing. He went in to go into some second song in a drunken stupor and Linda went by him and stole the microphone out of his hand. And when I returned from my honeymoon, he had left a message on my answering machine saying, you know, Drip, I'm sorry, I ruined your wedding. And apparently I, <laughs> I screwed up and ruined your wedding. And I called him immediately and was like, Michael, if you would have called, you know, teenage me sitting on the couch, right. eating a bowl of cereal, watching the Von Erics beat up the Freebirds, I mean the Freebirds beat up the Von Erics, uh, that that guy, the big blonde haired guy is gonna sing at your wedding, I would have been out of my mind. I said it was a, it was a highlight, uh, no, no issues, right? I can look at so many things in my career and even now to say I'm in this place where I have con creative control of WWE of the largest sports entertainment company that there's ever been on the planet. Like, it's hard to even think about, but and it's and it's overwhelming, and it is such a massive responsibility and trying to fill Vince's shoes in some way, which can't be done by one person. But try to step into those in any way, shape, or form is just overwhelming. But you just go and do the job, and uh, hopefully you do it well, and people dig it. Fascinating to me that even when you were saying that I have creative control of WWE, like you had to hesitate for a moment. Yeah. Is that because it's surreal? It is. It it's is. hard to say it out it loud. It is surreal. There, there's moments when I'm making decisions even now where I'm like, feel like I should probably check with somebody, yeah. see if this is okay, <laughs> but then who am I gonna check with, right? right? You know, it's, um, yeah, it's surreal. It's a, and it's an overwhelming um, responsibility. I, I say to people all the time, um, you can sit next to somebody. If you and I are sitting together and the responsibilities are yours, the, the end game responsibility is yours to make the decision. I can listen to somebody ask you the questions and I can go, I know what I would do and I would do this and I would say that. And then even if you ask me, what's your opinion of that? It's easy to give because it's not your responsibility. When it is your responsibility and now you have to make that decision solely and go, all right, I'll do this. Well, wait a minute, hold on though. What if I'm looking at that wrong? Maybe I should do that. I don't know. Like, it's, it's so easy to, to, to overthink. It's so easy to, to cross-check yourself. People have no idea until you get in that spot where every single sort of thing that's coming down the line that is an important question gets brought to you and say, what do you want to do with this? Um, it's the the it's 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 a whole different world, a whole different discussion point, and and it's it can be overwhelming. But you just gotta <clears throat> stay focused on the moment that you're in, be present in what you're doing in that moment, and stay attached to it, and don't get overwhelmed by all the stuff. And I always marveled at Vince's ability to change hats like that. You know, he one second he'd be talking about this, somebody'd walk in the door and ask him a question about something else, completely off topic, and he'd be like, "Oh, do this," right and he could just jump around to all these different things. I think, Jesus, that's so confusing to me. You feel like you're drowning in the questions, and it used to be really difficult. I used to marvel at his ability to do that. And you know, over time, I find myself now in that position of having to do that. And and um, as long as you focus on one thing at a time and just keep moving forward, you're, you're good. So it's been a little over a month since you yeah. took this job. And you know it was interesting. I think it was on a Friday morning they announced that you were coming back, resuming your role as EVP of Talent Relations. And then shortly thereafter, we find out about Vince retiring, and now you're head of creative. Do you remember when you were told when you found out that this is now essentially like your ship that you're now the new captain? 
So it sort of wasn't a, a moment where, hey, this is what's going to happen. There was moments as it was coming up. Look, it's, it's been a discussion point for a lot of years of, you know, what happens if, what is the plan if, right? And, you know, it's, it's always been sort of talked about and as a succession plan and all those things. But then when it really comes to that moment and it really comes to be, it's a it's a different conversation. And even if, even if in some manner you're thinking to myself, wow, eventually this is where I'm going to get to. There's that moment where you're like, this is really happening right now. Sort of as we were easing into that, not easing into it, but having the decisions come about of what Vince is going to do there. I'm hearing the conversations and I know it's coming, but then there's still that moment where they go, this is happening tomorrow morning, whatever, eight o'clock, this is happening. It's like, well, <laughs> here we go, you know, and there's really nothing you can do about it. So you just take a deep breath and go like, all right, well, you've been talking about it for a long time. Just go put your money where your mouth is now. Go was prove it. a moment, uh, a conversation with Vince as he kind of like passed the baton to you? Did he say anything to you? You know, like when a president leaves, he writes a note. Yeah. It, was there anything like that? I don't think he wrote a note to you, but any sort of like, he did. Yeah. And, you know, look, in some manner, I think for both of us, um, it's, it's a tough situation for him. And I think in some manner, like, it's even hard for me to picture now that he's not in the equation. And he's not in any way, shape or form. But it's hard to sort of hard to, to think about, right? Like that he's not there. And I think in that moment, hard for him to think about it, hard for him to think about somebody coming in and doing what he's done for 50 years or whatever, successfully better than anybody in the world. Um, so yeah, there was definitely that moment, definitely giving me advice, but I think also in some manner, most of that advice was centered around like, this is what you've been sitting next to me learning how to do for 25 years or whatever that is. And you got this, just be confident in your decision-making, be, um, you know, listen to people, be open to ideas, be uh, collaborative with other people, things like that, you know, that it would just wonderful advice. And, and you know, the truth is, it's my father-in-law. If, if, if uh, you know, he, he's not involved in the day-to-day -day business, but if I had to say to him, like, you know, um, man, I find this difficult to deal with, he would give me, you know, some overall advice of like, just listen to people, work with the team, do these things. That that guidance, he's a wealth of knowledge, you know. And the thing is, in, in our positions now with myself and Steph and, and Nick Khan, um, and there's so many other people that are such a, an integral part of WWE, he's built such an amazing team for all of us that it's it's, you have such a support system around you. I couldn't imagine trying to do this if you were just sort of by yourself having to do it, but having that team around you, having that support system around you, um, having it all of it be there, it's such a wonderful team. It's a lot of work, but it, it, it makes the work fun and easy. So you know, what's interesting, you just mentioned this, so I just wanted to ask a follow-up. I think initially people thought, oh, you know, he'll still be kind of running the show from afar, texting you, whatever. But I think over the past month, it has become very clear this is your show. So there is, like, he has nothing to do with the product no. anymore. And one of the things that he, you know, I don't want to say outright said, but alluded to me. He's like, look, you're going to do things. You cannot think about how I would do things. 
you have to think about what you want to do and how you feel like it's best for the product. You know, I might not like it, but I understand why you're going to do the things you're going to do. You have to do what you feel is right. Um, but it's, it's, it is a tough uh, thing to get to. No one works together for that long of a period of time and goes, I, you know, you all, everybody would think to themselves, well, I would have done that slightly differently. You know, doesn't mean it's right or wrong. We, we use the term all the time in the business, chocolate and vanilla, right? I want chocolate, you want vanilla. One of us has to pick a flavor. He would always pick the flavor. Now it's my turn to pick the flavor. Mm. Um, it's all good, it's all ice cream. Right, but it's it's my time to pick the flavor, and, and I have to be confident in those decisions. And I can't look back and say, well, what would Vince want to have for a flavor? You know, because it it just wouldn't be authentic then. From the outside looking in, uh, I would equate it to, I love sports. I love watching sports, following sports. And when a coach gets relieved of his duties, when he moves on, retires, especially mid-season, because this is kind of mid-season. I know you guys don't have an yeah. off-season, but it, you know the, the train was rolling along, right? SummerSlam was coming up. You often see the team rally together. They go on a long winning streak. They want to win for the new coach, the interim coach, so that he gets the full-time job, whatever. And they respect him. They like him. Usually he's one of the, the boys, so to speak. That is you, right? And it is palpable it feels like everyone has upped their game and it feels like they're doing it for you. It feels like the product is better. The, the And I'm not just saying this, I, I've said this without mm -hmm. you sitting next to me. There is a noticeable different, difference in the product, in the performance, in, in, in everyone's energy. And I'm wondering if A, you have noticed that, and B, if you expected this to happen so soon. I didn't really know what to expect. I definitely feel it. I think there's there's just change. Whether it's me, whether it's uh, Steph, whether it's Nick, there's change and it's in the air and it's fresh, it's a new day. And I think people feel that breath of fresh air of like, okay, we can break out of a formula that we were in. And, and for some of them, the formula works amazingly, but sometimes you just wanna have a little bit of liberty to do some other things that maybe you weren't before. That, that's liberating, it's freeing, it's, it, it's a breath of fresh air for them. And I think that they sense that across the board. And I think they're excited about the opportunities that are in front of them. And, um, you know, things were very set up the way they were and great, right? Amazing. But just having the opportunity to do things slightly different. The other thing I would say is, it's not like I came in from the outside. It's not like I came in and they were like, I'm sorry, what's your name? Roman Reigns? Nice mm. to meet you. You know, um, these are all people I've worked with for, you know, however long they've been here. There's very few people, uh, even Edge, like the, the grizzled veteran in the locker rooms, like, yeah, no, I was there when he came in. You know, um, we've just known each other forever. Some of these guys, I've, I've watched them blossom from stepping through the ropes for the first time to becoming megastars and being where they are. And there's a, there's a, a, a bond, a friendship, uh, helping over the years, helping them get where they want to be. So I, I've had those conversations with these talent for, for years. So I think there's a familiarity. Um, and I do things slightly different. So there's like, okay, I know how that operates. Um, and, and I think we're having fun doing it. I think sometimes, um, you know, whether good or bad or indifferent, just change can sometimes make something feel fresh for the day. It's like uh, you love your old car, but then you get a new car and you're like, oh, my God, it's like a 
a whole new thing, right? Like it, it, it's not that you didn't like the other car, you hated getting rid of it. You didn't want to ever get rid of it. It was your favorite car of all time, but you just get this new car and it's like, oh God, this is great, it's new, you know? It's, it's like that a little bit. So it feels that way and it definitely feels like that from what you hear from the athletes right now. The one that I wanted to ask you about was the story that came out on the day of the news of Vince's retirement that Brock Lesnar was upset and left and mm -hmm. that you had to kind of convince him to come back. Is that true? Was that a thing there's, that really there's, happened? There's some truth to it, yeah. yeah. You know, look, you have to understand Brock's relationship with Vince. And I think if you look at Brock's relationship across combat sports period, right? He has a relationship with Dana that's a certain way. His relationship with Vince that's a certain way. But Vince is the devil he knows. And um, Brock is inherently not a trusting person. Um, it's just how he is. He doesn't like people. Yeah. <laughs> um, but he's not, not, not a trusting person. And I think in that moment where you just hear Vince is out, now what's gonna happen? Like, I'm out of here. Like, you know what I mean? And I think there was just a moment of, of that. Nothing more, nothing less. It's not like he you know, looked at it and was like, well, I don't, I don't like anybody else here. I don't trust anybody else here. I don't anything else, right? So it was a moment of, of um, sort of, I'm gonna walk on this and then we have conversations and, you know, comes back and I have a great relationship with Brock. Um, have we had issues over the years? Because, yeah, because at a certain point in time, he was a talent, I was a talent. Uh, talent all get along to some degree and there's also a very real rivalry between all of them. They all want to be the best. Everybody wants to be the best and be in that spot. And so, yeah, I'm sure there is some level of mistrust or those things, right? And he's always had a relationship. Brock's not a, well, let, let me just deal with these people over here to take that off your plate, Vince. He wants something, he calls Vince directly. When he right. has wanted to do a deal, he's called Vince directly. There was a period of time when he first came back where he was dealing with me directly and then his relationship, because he and Vince weren't getting along when he first came back, just from past stuff. And then over time, he rekindles his relationship with Vince and now everything goes through Vince. Um, it's, it's just a different time now. And I think now that he has had a moment to digest it, he, you know, digested a little bit, came back to the building. We did business that night. We had long conversations about where we would go next and, you know, like what he heard, liked how he's been dealt with. So it's all good. Okay. You know, would it be fair to say that your philosophy is different in that, you know, we're starting to see a few things um, that are different from say even a month and a half ago, two months ago, et cetera. Uh, little things that people are picking up on um, such as, you know, giving Riddle his first name back, Austin Theory his first name back, the belts, especially like the mid-tier belts for lack of a better word, US title, IC title, like it just feels like almost you are uh, paying homage to just wrestling as opposed to sports entertainment, which was a thing that especially online would ruffle a lot of the mm -hmm. fans' feathers. It feels like there is a conscious effort on your part, and correct me if I'm wrong, to pay respects to those things and kind of rectify some of those things that were kind of gnawing at the the fans or whomever in the business. Is that is that an accurate thing to say? Yeah, but it's not, um, there's no, I don't look at anything and go like, oh, I need to fix that. I need, like, it's, to me, it's just what works for me, right? And, and that's really where it's at. So um, I look at things a certain way. Like to me, if I want to have the intercontinental title mean something, then I need to make it mean something. Um, 
And I've, I am a big advocate of the past. I think sometimes when you lived in the past, you don't see it the way other people do that were outside looking in on the past. So when I look at some of that past stuff, I see it differently than anybody would, than, than maybe Vince would or the people that were there. I saw performers of that generation differently than Pat saw them because, you know, I would see somebody like, oh my God, he was amazing. Pat, he was an idiot, you know, <laughs> right? Because <laughs> he knew them. He knew the ins and the outs. He knew the day-to-day. He knew what they were like to deal with and to work with. We talked about the chocolate and vanilla. If you're making the ice cream, I don't know, I'm just making ice cream I like. And hopefully everybody else likes that too. I approach this and Vince is the one that taught it to me. Put yourself in the seats. If you put yourself in the seat, you're just a fan. Just book it like a fan. You'll never go wrong. Um, that's, that's what I'm doing. So it's not a matter of I need to change that. I need to fix this. This is wrong. I don't like that. I, you know, this was done wrong. It's not that. I just, in the moments as I'm going through this now, I think to myself, what seems right? Like you mentioned the Matt Riddle thing. Like to me, it's just, all right, so we're going into this moment in time where this is super real. Are they going to go and hit each other in this super real manner in these promos and get into it in a, in a different way than we've traditionally done? He's got a first name. Right. Like, feels like we should give him that first name. If we're going to go hyper real, like, you know, um, we should go hyper real on it to bring the reality into it more. But yet still, you know, I, I, I 100% agree with being a WWE superstar is more meaningful than being a pro wrestler. And that will rub a lot of people wrong. But, like, anybody can be a pro wrestler. There's a guy in front of five people someplace right now. He's a pro wrestler. Um it's like saying, I'm a cage fighter. I've been to a million gyms through my career. And when MMA got big, every place we would go to, you know, you'd be working out and some guy would come up to you with a shaved head and tattoos, mostly tribal, and would say, you know, oh, I was talking to you and you, well, what do you do? Oh, I'm a cage fighter. Go, okay. You know, the truth is, are you in the UFC? Right? That's sort of the standard bearer. Are you in, and I'm sure others get that, right? It's not a knock. It's just a different level. Anybody can play football. Who plays in the NFL? It's a different level. Anybody can wrestle. Who makes it as a WWE superstar? It's a different level. There's so many fascinating elements to your story and this kind of comeback, if you will. Um, and we will obviously get to the, the health component, which is the most in interesting one and important one. But there's also the component over the last two years, it seemed like every so often you'd hear news of this guy's gone, this guy's gone, this woman's gone, this woman's gone, and you're kind of sitting back being like, what the hell's going on here, why? This is, this guy's awesome, this guy's great, this guy had such great potential. And a lot of those guys came from NXT, right? And now it feels like you're back and it's like week after week, a lot of these faces are coming mm -hmm. back. And so I'm wondering, did you sit down and say like, all right, who did I not want to leave and how soon can I bring them back? Like, was there a wish list for you? Because it does feel like, Triple H's army, his boys, so to speak, are yeah. all coming back. So funny, the whole roster's in some way. If you're gonna, if you're gonna look at it that way, right? They all, almost ninety-five percent of our roster came out of NXT. Right. Right now, um, yeah, there was a lot of people that I thought, oh, that's really talented. When it came to Raw and SmackDown, it wasn't up to me if I thought they were talented. It was up to, you know, the Raw and SmackDown writing team and Vince as if. If, if they thought they were talented and wanted to use them for something. And if they didn't, then 
that was the answer, right? And if they wanted to use them, Vince's company, Vince's show, Vince's prerogative, if he says, I see this guy, but I see him in a different role. I see this woman, but I see her in a different role. I, I don't see this person talented. I don't see them as where I want to go. Then that's his prerogative. Now it's my time to be able to say, no, no, I think this person is talented and I want them here doing this and, and to go down that list. So for me, talent is talent. Doesn't matter man, doesn't matter woman, doesn't matter where they came from, doesn't matter what route or, or, or path they took to get to this business. Did they start out wanting to do something else and find this later in their life? Did they start out dreaming as a kid that this is all they ever wanted to do and, and approached it? it? Talent is talent. If somebody is talented, if I think they can contribute to the product and I think that creatively we can use them to advance what we do and to, to make this company bigger and tell better stories, and um, then I want to work with them. Simple as that. And it, it, it doesn't matter if we created them, somebody else did, if they learned it someplace else, like all those things. When they come here, we want them to do, very clearly, we want them to do what we want them to do, but I also want them to have the freedom to express themselves, the freedom to be the characters you know, that they can be. and, and um, not everybody has the ability to be told, do this and make it seem like it's totally natural. But if you see somebody has something, the right something in them to portray something and you can utilize that in the best way possible, then let's go. You know? Three, four years ago, you can make a strong case that NXT was the best promotion in the world. Like you guys were selling out major arenas in America, the talent you had, the storytelling, it was fantastic. Honestly, over the last year, when you saw what had become of NXT, what did you think? Um, I don't. I didn't necessarily agree with the creative direction sometimes, and that was not had nothing to do with Sean or anything else. When I stepped away for health reasons, and there was already pressure to change the direction and change what it was, um, and that that happened. I knew what the changes were. I don't know that I necessarily agreed with all of them, but I, I do think that there are a lot of changes that happened that were extremely positive for the brand and I would have liked to have done anyways that I think a lot of people would have gone, no way he would have done that. Hmm. The brand turned into something else different from what it, the original intention was. Part of that was success of it. Part of that was pandemic, right? The, the brand changed in the pandemic. People forget that for two years, maybe, maybe over that, we couldn't recruit. I couldn't train athletes. I had no place to train them. The the we moved all of our training became a television studio to shoot Raw and SmackDown in. I had all these athletes under contract. Anybody that that already didn't fully understand what they were doing and how to execute it wasn't learning because there was no place for them to train. We medically weren't even allowed to put them in the building to let them train. Right. So, it and and if we wanted to, we had no place for them to train because. The training facility was a television studio. Um, that massively changed what it was, massively changed where it was headed and what it would become. Um, at the same point in time, NIL comes along and the way we could recruit and train athletes dramatically changed. Um, you know, sometimes people look at it and go, like, well, they were recruiting, you know, uh, stars from other places throughout that whole time. I've always looked at talent as the same. Whether you've never stepped through the ropes before, you have a talent that I think we can capitalize on and bring to the best of its ability. Where you've been doing this for 10 years, you have a talent I think I can cultivate and bring to the best of its ability. Um, 
it's the same thing to me. We just lost the ability to take anybody that wasn't already doing this at a high level and work with them. That changed the nature of what NXT was and would become. And, and over time, that just, it just kept heading down further down that road because of where we were with the pandemic and everything else. It needed to flip back. It needed to, when NIL came about, for us to be able to go into these markets now, collegiate athletes, which is this massive pipeline of people that for, for a lot of them have thought about doing this their whole life, but how do you go about becoming a, a, a WWE superstar, right? If, if, if you're smart, you play a sport that can pay for your college, you go to college, you finish up, you get a job coming out of college, and then you try your hand at getting trained by somebody or on the flip side, if it's something that you really wanna do. Creating that pipeline for those collegiate athletes, which is this massive pool of talent, is game-changing for us. And that's, that is exactly what we're doing right now. You know, we're the, the last two or three large recruiting efforts we've had and tryout systems we've had have all been, all been collegiate athletes. That doesn't mean we're not gonna hire. If, if somebody finds a different path into the business, no matter how long or short they've been doing it, and I think that person's talented, fits what we're looking for and I want to work with them, come on in, right? If they're working somewhere else and they have a skill set and now they're no longer under contract and I think we can do something with it, come on in, right? But the, the core of what we're going to try to build is these collegiate athletes that we start, first day they step through the ropes many times is with us for their tryout. But the, the level of professionalism, the level of, you know, when you take a D1 level college athlete that's been trained at a high level, is coachable, that understands what that work ethic is and everything else. The level of professionalism is completely different. That's what we're working with now. And I think it's why you see um, Braun Breaker doing so well in such a short period of time. It's why you see Tony D'Angelo doing so well in a very short period of time. Tiffany Stratton, all, I, can, I can name a list of people that are in NXT now. And as you see NXT ramping back up, you see NXT now, you look at some of those people and you're like, wow, this person stepped through the ropes for the first time six, eight months ago. And they're doing this on, on live, on national television, being seen globally, like six, eight months in, it's crazy, you know? So just curious, you know, there was that story and that's why I appreciate you being here and maybe uh, putting to rest some theories out there. NXT went head to head with AEW, it couldn't beat them. We're gonna punish it. Was that a real thing? No. Nonsense. No. no, look, we do, people put so much pressure on this, this all oh, this competitive wars. It never was that. Look, first of all, they beat our developmental system. Good for them, right? Um, no, it was never that. It, it was never, there was never even a pressure of like, oh, you have to beat that. Like, it was never that. It's put on the best product we could. Like I said, it shifted over time. During the pandemic, all of that shifted over time. And the, the opportunity for us to change it back to what it truly was, right? When you look at a lot of the stars that, we, that, that have come through that system that had either started from zero or very little exposure anywhere and then became massive stars with us, um, God, it's so many people and we had lost the ability to take those people and groom them from the ground up. We really had. And, and it's the biggest change that's out there. Um, 
I, I'm, I'm proud of where Sean and that team have taken that, even under circumstances where the change happened and was massive and all at once. And they sort of kind of got this jumble thrown at them and had to go out there and, and take that and run with it. The job they've done is amazing. And now I think you're starting to see people begin to, you know, they, they got a clean slate and all these athletes you'd never heard of and never seen before and they're green and don't know what they're doing and they're out there doing this. You're seeing it now start to pick up tempo again and start to become what it is again. I truly believe in that brand still. I think you'll see that here as well. Like the decision to pull NXT UK back, um, it's the right decision for us. We had plans to do what we're going to do now then right before the pandemic hit and it took it all away so we weren't able to do that our partnership with bt allowed it to stay on the air the whole time but th the truth is it, it was totally different from where we wanted it to go we're pulling it off the air now so that we can get to nxt europe because it's tough to do both at the exact same time mm -hmm. to continue to operate a product but build a new product around it we're going to pull it off for a little bit. We're going to bring NXT Europe back in a bigger way than it ever was before. And the intent is, hopefully, if we're successful at it, to replicate that. So it's NXT Europe. It's NXT India. It's NXT South Africa. It's, it's NXT Mexico. Be able to take those products, put them around everywhere, and eventually over time to build brands in those markets locally and build World Cup scenarios around that where, you know, they're, they're competing on, on that level all over the globe and and that tide then feeds into Raw and SmackDown. It's in essence, if Raw and SmackDown are the NFL, NXT at all levels is collegiate football. Right. It's amazing football. It's just, you know, in, in some ways, same as the NFL, some people like it better. It's It becomes that, but it's all a feeder system to the overall picture. Uh, you, you're a byproduct of the, um, the Monday Night Wars and uh, you know, the Attitude Era and all that stuff. And that was a great time to be a fan, right? And it was a great time to be yeah. in the business. And and fans kind of miss some of that and they want to bring that back. And there's now maybe a second option, if you will, for the first time in a very long time. Do you pay attention to what they're doing? Do you consider them competition? I remember asking Nick Khan himself mm -hmm. uh, this very question last August. And, and he said, no, everything is competition. Entertainment is competition. So I'm just curious for you, do you consider them specifically as competition? Okay, again, not, not, and it's funny, I've heard Nick say that and I've heard people say to him, well, it's a cop-out answer. It's not a cop-out Everything is competition to us. If we pay attention to everything, you have to. Do we pay attention to AEW? Do I watch it on a week-to-week -week basis? No. Am I aware of what's happening there? To a degree, right? Not, I'm, not, I'm not following everything they do. Um, there's sometimes I'll, I'll see that somebody would say, well, it's very similar to what they do. I'm like, well, I, didn't, <laughs> I had no idea. Yeah. You know, um, at the end of the day, you have to focus on what you're doing. Right? You have to focus on your product. It doesn't matter what anybody else is doing. If people want to watch that product, there's nothing I can do about it. There's nothing that's going to prevent me from doing that, right? Focus on my product. Make my product the best product it can possibly be. And I have confidence in that ability for this team, for the amount of people, for the talent that we have. I'll put our talent against anybody. You know, that is how you are successful. I, you know, Monday Night Football is a massive thing for us. We pay attention to that. Absolutely, we pay attention to all sports that are on television. We're very strategic about where we put our events and how, not because we think, ooh, we'll try to block that, or ooh, we think we'll do this. Like, 
No, we're going to put them in the places where we think we will do the best business. That's all that it is. There's nothing more to it than that. And I think that is where people get lost in the small thinking of what happens on a day-to-day basis. It's the much bigger overall picture that is needs to stay in front of you of where you're trying to get to. So at the beginning of this conversation, I asked you about 30 years ago. Uh, now I'd love to ask you about a year ago. We're, we're approaching September, right? Um, actually, it is September. Today is September 1st as we're doing this. Sep- September of 2021. September 1st is when my health issue happened. Yeah. W- was literally today, exactly uh, a year yeah. ago. Wow. Can you tell me about that day? Yeah, so look, uh, I've, I've talked about it a little bit, but the, the truth is, you know, I had a genetic heart issue that, that led to me having a blockage. Um, the rest of my heart was pristine and clean, and the, I had a, a blockage in my uh, the main artery that they call your widowmaker, 99%. So I had been running myself the, the normal schedule, right? I had had like a 10-day run between SummerSlam and from Orlando to Vegas and Vegas to LA and back and you know all over the place. And it had been a crazy run. When we came back in at the end, <clears throat> I was in Orlando for television uh, for NXT. And the last couple of days that I was there, I was getting run down and sick. And I knew I, was, I could feel it coming on. I'm thinking like, oh God. So when I flew home, I went to get tested for COVID because I certainly didn't want to bring that home to my kids, even though I'd been vaccinated and even though I'd had it and and everything else, I didn't want to bring that home to my kids. And I didn't have it. I was, uh, um, they said I had viral pneumonia and, you know, I was super congested, but I was exhausted. And um, it sort of kept getting worse. My doctor kept a, a very close eye on it and was like, man, there's, you know, your heart rate's elevated. There's just certain things going on here. Um, there's a certain point in time where my, you know, I'm coughing stuff up. My wife sees it. She sees a little bit of blood in there. She's like, I don't like that. We go get chest x-rays. And I'm, I'm generalizing here a lot of this, but we go get chest x-rays. I go in for uh, EKGs and all this other stuff. And then there's one day that we're home and I'm still feeling like crap. Um, and uh, I was also having issues when I would lay down like where I, I felt like I couldn't catch my breath and just thought I was super congested. They wanted to make sure that the pneumonia, I didn't have a clot or anything else, so they were doing x-rays and all this. One day after I get a bunch of tests done, I get home and uh, I get a call that uh, my doctor and he says, uh, hey, plans on the ground have changed. I need you to put a few things into a bag. Don't waste time. I need you to drive to Yale. And I'm like, yeah, well, what's going on? He goes, you got something going on with your heart. I said, well, shouldn't I just go to Greenwich much closer? He said, no. What you have going on is pretty serious. They're gonna, if you go to Greenwich, they're going to transfer you to Yale. They have a better department there. That's where you need to be. Go now. Don't waste time. Go check in the ER. I'm going to have somebody there waiting for you to check you in. I go, dude, <laughs> like you're making this sound like this is life or death. What is going on? He goes, you're in heart failure. Wow. And I'm like, I'm in heart failure. And he goes, your ejection fracture, which should be around 55, 60, you're at 30. He said, you need to go. You're cascading. You're in heart failure. I was like, holy All right. So I throw my stuff in a bag. He's like, I don't 100% know what's going on, but we're going to find out. We drive there. Um, obviously, my wife is like, holy cow. So we throw. Are you freaking out right now? Um, I am, but it's almost surreal. I'm right. like, heart failure. I'm not perfect. I'm like a, is she I'm, freaking out? She's scared, but like, I'm, I mean, I'm in good shape. I yeah. eat healthy. I eat clean. Like, I don't eat crap. I don't drink. I don't smoke. I don't anything. Like, I'm about as crystal clean as you can get, right? Um, we drive there, 
get checked in, uh, you know, obviously because of the situation, they have somebody there waiting for us. They finally check us in, we get in there. So now it's early evening, I check in, they start to run all the tests. And when I get the first test back, my now my ejection fracture is at 22. And they're like, holy cow, like you're cascading quickly here. We gotta find out what's going on. We can't do it till the morning. Um, they keep running other tests, doing all this stuff. In the morning, they, they do a, um, ultrasound, a bunch of other stuff, they basically come back and say, your ejection fracture is now 12, we need to go now. Like, so I'm like one yard lining it. Um, they get me in there, I have a, a blockage in my, uh, what they call the Widowmaker, 99%. Like, and they were like, dude, you're lucky that you didn't like throw any kind of clot or anything with all the traveling and the flying and everything right. else that you do, if you would have thrown a clot, that would have been it. You'd have never seen it coming. You would have just fell over and, you know, all that stuff. So they um, they do the calf, they put a stent in, all good. During the process, as I'm as I'm recovering from this, they had me wearing a, a defibrillator vest as a precaution because I had cascaded so low, all this other stuff. And and meanwhile, everything else now, my the rest of my heart looks great. Everything else is this one thing and they're like you know, when they get into my family history, they're like, wow, genetically, my dad's had triple bypass, my grandfather died young, heart disease. I, we didn't know this until, I, I literally found out like two weeks prior that his dad, my great-grandfather had died at uh, 52, heart failure. Look, at the time, they didn't just drop dead walking, right? Um, they didn't know, so it's like a genetic thing that you're predisposed to. Um, so as I, I leave, I go home after so many days or whatever, I'm wearing this defibrillator vest. At some point they call me and they're like, you had a, like a slight V-fib episode where V-fib is where your heart flutters and it basically, if your heart doesn't rectify itself, you die. Um, they were like, it was very short, your heart corrected itself, but the fact of all the stuff you've been through and the fact that you had a V-fib, we need to talk to you about some things. I go in and they're like, you need a defibrillator put in your chest and I was like, like, I didn't even understand this at that point in time. Like, what, like a pacemaker, I'm 52 years old. Like, what are you talking about? And they're like, no, you know, a defibrillator that if you have a V-fib, which we're not sure you have V-fib, but we think that we've seen it one time. And this is how they explained it to me. They said, look, if we put this in, best case scenario is we put this in, you come back to us 30 years from now and you go like, this thing never went off once, wasted my time. You guys put this in my chest, I didn't need it. You wasted my time and they go like, oh, that's okay. The other side is we don't put it in. Five years from now you drop dead and your wife comes back to us and go, wow, my husband died and he's like, wow, we should have put a defibrillator in, you know? Because mm. we don't know, you don't fit in the category. Um, so after much convincing to a degree, uh, we put the defibrillator in except the first one it, it, the, putting in a defibrillator, there's a couple of options that they can do. We choose one option. We go in to put that in. Should be about an hour and a half max surgery. A couple of days of recovery, you're good to go. Like nothing ever happened to you. Um, I had a seven and a half hour surgery first day, um, full of complications, and it didn't work. Oh. And how they find out that it doesn't work is they give you a V-fib attack. And then if the machine doesn't rectify it, they have to zap you back. Oh. And right, so seven and a half hours, when I wake up, they're like, yeah, no, seven and a half hours. Uh, we had to zap you twice. And unfortunately it didn't work. 
So tomorrow we have to go back in, try to reposition it, and if that one doesn't work, we have to go with the other option, which is a main line direct to your heart. I said, well, okay, that's what you gotta do. I go in the next day, eight hours of surgery. Next day, uh, same issues, Second, first one still doesn't work. They have to go back, take all that stuff out, start over, put a new one in, mainline it. Huge process, but you know, 15 plus hours of surgery in two consecutive days with all this digging. And it, and it was all stuff like I'm too vascular from years of training. My fascial tissue is too thick. The digging is incredibly difficult. Like it's just all these little things. And I just, like every issue they could have had, I had. Um, so that was in December. So I needed to get to a particular place where they oh, could wow. actually put the, defib the, the defibrillator in. In um, December, beginning of December, they put the defibrillator in. In my mind at that point, I'm getting this defibrillator December 1st. I'll be back b before Christmas. I'll be right. back and everything's back to normal and stuff. Except 15 hours of surgery, they were like, dude, you're looking at this is a long recovery now. And so it just took a lot of time. That's why the, the first things that I really went to and was around the business in any way, shape, or form was WrestleMania, you know. Um, it was a complete, and I was, when I say I was out of it, it wasn't like I was picking up the phone and I was out, 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 not dealing with it at all, home every day, not dealing with it. It was wonderful. Pick my kids up every day, like spend time with them every single day. On, on, on some matter, I wouldn't change that for anything. It was the best time in the world, but um, I was out, out. And people like Sean, who, you know, still my best friend, Sean was like, you know, in NXT, it was like nobody is allowed to call him. Nobody's allowed to talk to him. Nobody's allowed to anything. I didn't watch the shows. I didn't watch. Too hard? I didn't watch. Um, yeah, too hard, too stressful, too, right? Uh, right? Like all of it. And I, so I didn't watch any of it. I didn't. Wow. Just, just too hard for me to deal with. Suddenly, I'm just out of it. Yeah. Right? Um, and and just, just was done with it for that period of time. Being back, WrestleMania, coming back engaging back into it was was awesome and amazing and by then my health you know my so i have a defibrillator in my chest um which clearly is, is why i'm not wrestling right it's why uh oh anyway which is why i'm not, not would never wrestle again which a lot of people ask me about was i upset about that answer is no but there I, was a plan for you to do something at mania there, there was a there was a plan for me to do something at wrestlemania that we had talked it? about i was going to do something with gable steveson wow yeah um and uh, and try to get him launched and get going, but um, you know when they told me I was like okay, like it wasn't you know and I think Steph took it way harder than I did, and was like that's not bothering you and I'm like, man, I wrote it till the wheels fell off, wheels fell off like they tell you you're done like I'm done I'm good I did everything I wanted to do and then some, it's it's not about that for me it never has been and and I have a, a I have a creative outlet and and sort of a. Uh, if, if the business is the, the adrenaline rush and sort of that, that magic of why you do this, right? That, those moments, I was getting those moments with all these other people. Like the, the difference to me in the business when I was wrestling, when I was an in-ring performer, um, it's like saying the success that you have, you're very proud of and it's why you do what you do. You love what you do. But when your kids get older, and you begin to watch them do the things that they love and succeed at it, your level of pride for them will be, that's almost more rewarding than your career was for you. I feel that 
for these, you know, for the time when I was doing it at NXT. This, uh, I'll feel it Saturday. We'll walk in Clash of the Castle. There'll be 60,000 plus people there, right? I'm gonna watch Liv Morgan and, and Shayna. I'm gonna watch Gunther and, and Sheamus. I'm gonna watch Drew McIntyre and Roman. I'm gonna know what they're going through. I'm gonna know how we got them there the help to get them there and giving them that platform to do what they do and succeed at it and live that that dream. To me, it's like watching my kids succeed at something that they've always dreamed about doing. The level of passion and pride in that is the same for me. So I, I don't need that outlet. I, I sort of like, you know, it was almost like when, when Vince asked me to do WrestleMania, he was like, look, we're going to LA. It's two days. I need the attraction, you know, you, uh, you can do whatever you want. Tell me who you want to work with, whatever you want to do at WrestleMania. And I was like, can I think about it? Like, I don't, I'm not sure I want to do it. And he was like, really? And I said, yeah, I'm just kind of done. I don't know that I want to do it. I don't, it's too, I'm too busy. I'm too much doing the other stuff. I don't know that I want to, I, that I want to, it's too much work. It's too hard. It's too, like, you got to be all in. Mm. And uh, he was like, all right, well, let me know. At that same period of time, we were doing the stuff with Gable, like mm. uh, finalizing his commitment to us and all that stuff. And uh, when the idea came for me to do the thing with Gable, I went to to Vince with the idea to do the thing with Gable, and he was like, "Wow, I love it, right? Like, let's go." So it was a thought for me was like, "Oh, I can work with this kid. Put him, you know, put him over, get him rolling. This will be great." Like, that's what I would like to do, if nothing else. Um, but when they came to me and then said, "It's done." It, it wasn't, there's no, I have no regrets, no sadness, no, um, you know, people talk about like, oh, I wish I could be at peace with the way I went on. Like, I'm totally, um, I have no, there's not a part of me that goes like, Oof. you know, and then maybe I'll stand at the curtain Saturday, 60,000 people going crazy and go like, Oof. I bet that's a rush, right? Like, I wish I was out there for that. That'd be cool, but not really, you know. Could I ask, and I, and I almost hate asking you this question, at any point, were you afraid of dying? The whole time, yeah. How how did you deal with that? Like that's a different level of anxiety. That's a different level of pressure. Yeah, but it it's funny. Um, I get emotional thinking about it. In 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 some way, it's a gift to look at your life through those eyes. If they tell you you're going to die on Tuesday, no one is going to go, well, shit, I have a board meeting on Friday, right? right? It's irrelevant. I love what I do. I love the passion that it brings out of me. I love, I love all of it. I love creating this. Uh, I love being a part of creating the magic of what we do in WWE for people all around the world, for kids, for, for everybody that enjoys it. Um, it's my passion in life, but it doesn't compare to my passion for my kids or my wife or any of that. So when you break it down in that manner and that can all go away, you think of life differently. You and I have talked about that, right? Your daughter's birthday, you think to yourself like, well, I don't wanna miss that. It's easy to talk yourself into missing it. Eh, it's just this one year. I've really got to do this. This is really important, really big business. I got to do this. Like, oh, so just let this one thing go. You can't. They go by fast, it goes by quick, and, and then it's gone. You, you sort of 
it's a gift to be able to look at that differently through a different lens, through different eyes to say, no, these are the things that are important to me. I'm going to put that first at all times. Even though I always felt like I did it that way, you can look at times when you didn't. And to have that perspective in some manner is a gift of making you appreciate things uh, that you just took for granted, mm. you know? You know, you mentioned your wife, and I don't want you to speak on her behalf. We just have a few minutes left. Thank you so much for the time, by no, the way. And, and, and the candor. I could sit here and ask you a million questions and pepper you all day long. But what was fascinating about the story in, in, in her perspective was, like, she says she's taking a leave of absence, and then, like, two and a half weeks later, she's back. <laughs> she took the shortest leave of absence in the history of business, yeah. How was she dealing with it? Because I think mentally... Uh, I think she was excited about maybe like being home with your children yeah, look, and then now you're back in and yeah. you're back in in a bigger role. It's, it's the, I think the biggest thing for her was through this year long process of me being sick and, and then getting back and, and I sort of, I guess in some manner never fully finished the story, but before I come back at WrestleMania, I go, I go to the doctor and get the checkup and, uh, you know, they're like, they walk in the room and they're like, you're, so your ejection fracture is over 50. Like, I'm back. I'm, I'm not just back to where, like, because there was a period of time where they say, like, look, I, I go back up to around 30-ish, right? And they're like, we'll be honest, it might be all you get. We don't know, right? Like, this is not an exact thing. Look, you've trained your whole life. You're in amazing shape and all that stuff. So... We're hopeful that it'll be more, but that might be it. And, and you'll be perfectly healthy for that for the rest of your life and live a long, healthy, happy life at that, right? It's just limited to a degree. Um, when they come back in, when I get that, that month, however many months later checkup, and they go, well, you're back over 50. Like that's like, you're 100% clean bill of health. Here you go, do whatever you want. That's a game changing moment. But my wife never dealt with any of that. Mm-hmm. She was working just as much as ever dealing with everything at work, just as much as ever trying to be a rock for me, trying to be a rock for our kids. She never wavered, was with, I mean, at every single moment of my issues was right there. Rock, couldn't have done it without her. Um, So she never deals with this. So there's this moment in time where she's like, all right, I'm going to take a breath. I need to step away for a little bit. I'm going to take a little bit of time off. Vince is like, great, yeah, you need to t- take some time, take a breath, all that stuff. Doesn't know what it's going to be, doesn't know what she's going to do, but just needs that time. Spend it with me, spend it with the kids, spend it with the family. We're like three weeks in <laughs> to this as this process is unfolding, the 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 drama of it all, and we're at one point where we're, we're we're like three weeks in we're going to go up to our lake house and relax and she's like ready to go up there this is like the beginning of the like the full-on take a break right and uh, we're literally in the car driving up there and we get the phone call that says we need you to step in would would you step in as chairwoman and ceo in the now and she's like (laughs) can i call you back in a little bit and think about this for a minute and we spend the rest of the drive driving up there and like there was a time limit on that like yeah no we need to know now wow and uh yeah we spend the rest of the drive up there going like what what do we do here and it's in a way sort of like you can't 
It's your life's work or passion or family legacy, all those things, right? And 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 in as much as anybody else is what she loves and is like, yeah, I'm in, you know. Um, total change of direction. None of us saw that coming, and none of but it is what it is. And um, she's done an amazing job, you know, uh, amazing job of taking over like just a Goliath and never missing a beat. You know, went from all the other stuff straight into that and, and just never missed a beat. She's amazing. Really, truly just, I know people say that, like, sound like I'm trying to get brownie points for when I go home, but she just, she's amazing. She, I'm in awe of her every day. Just what she does, how she does it. Being a mom, which as you know, is different <laughs> to a degree than being a dad. Uh, when stuff goes south, they don't run to me nearly as right. much as they run to her, right? Um, just, just, um, amazing what she has done and Nick Nick Khan has been just an incredible partner um it's a funny as you talk about the business and the changes like there's a period of time where it goes to where the whole world is like that damn Nick Khan right? yeah. it just would make me laugh like he has zero to do with those decisions that are happening the poor guy is just getting battered <laughs> online for having zero uh to do with any of those stories but um He's just been amazing. I can't say enough about him and for all of us to be able to do this. And, and the great part for me is they they sort of are like, yeah, I know this creative and it's a giant thing. Like, here you go, like have at it and let us know if you need anything. So it's it's um, it's been wonderful in that sense. Uh, two last things, if I may. Yeah. I'd be remiss if I don't ask you about your dear friend, Scott Hall. Speaking yeah. of another huge yeah. thing that happened this year, if, if I could just ask like, you know, what you think his legacy is and how he should be remembered what what a legend right what a, yeah what an absolute icon yeah and uh it was tough you know that was a tough day and i saw what you wrote about him as yeah. well so you know if uh, i haven't heard you speak about him um yeah that was a rough one yeah you know the 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 click you know it's funny but if you have a if you have a group of friends that you have a brotherhood with, so to speak, in your life, it's funny that they're given a name and they have this life, <laughs> it is this life of its own in the business, but we were all very close all the way, you know, to the to the very end for him. And, and uh, I, from a legacy standpoint, I, I don't think that Scott, you know, he's a tormented person and, and had issues because of it, but I don't think he is nearly given the credit that he deserves for the mind that he had for this business. Like I learned, I was very fortunate when I came into WWE as a young guy that was trying to learn the business in the best way possible. You know, every night I was getting to work with Scott Hall. Every night I was getting to work with Bret Hart. Every night I was working with Shawn Michaels. I was working with One Two Three Kid. You know, those were the people that I was learning from every single night. And I can honestly say that Scott was probably the one I learned the most from. He had a, this simplistic way of looking at the business where you would have all this complex stuff in your head of like how you were thinking about this dynamic and this creative and the psychology of all this and then Scott would walk in and go let me get this straight you're gonna do that why wouldn't you just do this if it was real wouldn't you just do that and you're like yeah yeah <laughs> like, yeah that's like so ridiculously simple and it's so perfectly spot on it's so easy to complicate things and it's, you know, I don't know, I always think about it like music and the fact that like Scott was kind of like ACDC or ZZ Top, like 
three chords, made amazing music that you hum in your head for the rest of your life, right? Other people make these complex compositions of music and all that stuff, and it, it's wonderful, but it's like just so complex and so everything, and it doesn't need to be. Like, just make me something that makes me bob my head and tap my leg a little bit and sticks with me my whole life. And that's what Scott did. It was this simplistic genius, but he's not, he's not seen a lot of times in that light. Um, but yeah, I learned maybe more from him uh, than anybody coming up early at that point in my career, you know? So it was, it was a tough loss for all of us. Last thing, and it's a fun one, if I may. Yeah. I think there are some people who are watching this and be like, all right, Ariel, come on, get on with it. Ask him, ask him. Uh, can I ask you about four people? And you could give me a yes or no yeah. if they're gonna come back. And maybe you can elaborate, or you could plead the fifth if yeah, you want. Yeah, yeah, Fun game? Sure. Sasha Banks? Time will tell. Yeah, time will tell. Yeah, I think in a lot of ways, communication breakdowns are terrible. And there's a communication breakdown there for whatever reason. Um, starting back up that communication, um, it's not a, a difficult process, but it can be a process, right? And you have to go through the process. Um, but she's a unbelievably talented young woman that can do just about anything she wants. It just comes down to what does she want to do now with her life, her career, her whatever that is. Like um, the passion clearly for what we do, there's a passion for other things as well. And, mm -hmm. and so it becomes, it comes down to a, what does she want to do? Cause it's gotta be right for her, gotta be right for everybody. But um, you know, she is, I, I think as you've seen over the course of her career of, of just coming into the PC and NXT is just an unbelievable performer that I believe in with everything I have that is one of the biggest stars in our business. So it's just what she wants to do. Braun Strowman? Braun Strowman, we'll see. Again, an, a conversation. Um, it's funny, he, he's a, like a polarizing person a little bit sometimes in the business, but for a guy his size, and what he brings to the table is an amazing athlete. You don't see too many guys that, that big, that fast, um, that have big personalities. It's funny, I remember the first time I met him, uh, he came to the PC for a visit, never done this before, he was a strong man. He weighed like 430 pounds or something like that. And uh, I just remember being like, Jesus, this guy is huge, but I don't really care. you know. And then I talked to him for 15 minutes and saw his personality, he's just got this big booming voice and this big huge personality and he's laughing and he's just like, I, I was like, oh, this guy's like larger than life. And uh, at the time, the guy that was running development with me uh, came to me and he was like, I don't know, a lot of mileage, a lot of issues there. And I was like, dude, he's custom made for what we do. His size, his personality, all that stuff, like let's give him a shot. Still that feel that way with him. If, if, this, is, uh, if this is what he wants to do with the highest of levels, then I would be, I would like nothing more than to give him another shot. Second to last one, dying to ask you this one, Bray Wyatt. <laughs> I was gonna say, I, I would imagine the last two, but, uh, but I'll let you get there. One of the most, I mean this in the best way possible, crazy creative people I've ever been around. Um, mind just never stops thinking of creative but it's like being in a whirlwind of stuff. So without 
without the harness and without somebody to point the tornado, it's just all over the place. And like, <laughs> he's just, he's a victim of his own mind and is creative and it's just everywhere. But I love working with him. I loved working with him, uh, you know, down there and, and even just being a, a small part of as he was creating the Bray Wyatt uh, character and moments of, of uh, just helping to harness his, I have no idea where some of the concepts and thoughts come from in his head, like some crazy place, right? But they're wonderfully crazy, but you just have to be able to, like at some point, so, all right, just stop thinking and let's do this. Because five minutes later, he'll be like, never mind all that other stuff. I got this crazy idea. And he's right, like right. off on something else, right? But he's a wonderfully free-flowing, creative mind. Um, as long as you can harness him, it's it's a, an amazing thing. It's just <laughs> harnessing him takes a lot of work. I'm not sure if that was a yes or a no. Uh, it is neither. Okay. All yeah, right. it is all neither. Right. But like it's a clear, I think it should be clear that like to me, I see the talents. Sometimes those talents are difficult to work with. Uh, what's language restrictions in your show? Oh, go for it. Yeah, so I've always, I've always gone by the uh, the mantra that if somebody says to me, "That guy's an asshole," like, yeah, but he's my asshole, mm. right? Somebody can be difficult to work with. It's just, but that's kind of the fun of it. Like let's let's go for all these people that everybody has quirks and things and thoughts and but you communicate with each other and you create you're collaborative with each other and you create and to me that's when this is the best when you can fluidly like a point and click is boring. Mm. I wanna I wanna get the ideas from everywhere and collaborate and and work together and figure out how to harness those ideas and put them on paper and get them on get them on. Uh, TV or social media, wherever we're going to do it and run with them. And, and if so, I don't care who comes up with the concept, the idea or anything else. Like, let's go. So the people that are like that, the people that have that ability, that have that that fire, man, let's go. So when you say those names to me, they're exciting names to me. It's a lot of work. A lot of work to, to get to where you want to be creatively with them. A lot of work to get them sometimes to want to run creatively. That answer reminds me of uh, Dumb and Dumber, where he says, so you're telling me there's a chance. There's we'll a leave, chance. We'll leave it at that. By the way, now I feel pressure. I want to know who you think the last guy is. Because if no, I I'm not going to say now, because I'll, uh, I'll throw one else at you, and then yeah, there'll I be know. one more in All addition right. to it. Yeah. Uh, the Rock at WrestleMania. Yeah. So. Was that the one, by the way? It was the one. Okay. Yeah, I figured that's what you were going to ask me. When you are the, maybe the most recognizable man on the planet, the most famous actor in Hollywood, probably the most in-demand social media influencer out there. You're busy. I also, so, and, and that busyness is fluid. In a moment's time, this seems like, man, I gotta do this, and then something else comes along 30 seconds later because of the nature of what you do, and it's, um, oof. I thought I had to do that, but I got to do this. Right. It can change. You know, a few years ago, he and I were going to work at WrestleMania, and we even shot a video for it, and we're ready to roll. And then in the course of the year that it that it was going to happen, it changed. The opportunity changed. Um, I do know this because I've had this conversation with him. At no time 
when Rock is making a movie in Hollywood? Does he stand in a position, pull off his elbow pads and goosebumps fill his entire body because of the electricity that 100,000 people or whatever it is are giving him in that moment and he passionately feels that like no one else. There is nothing else on the planet that gives you that rush that WWE gives you when you're standing in the center of that ring. And I know he knows that. So I know somewhere deep inside of him is that burning thing to go, oh, I gotta feel that one more time. I gotta get in there one more time because that clock is ticking on can he. Looks like a million bucks, but believe me, you look <laughs> you look as good as you are. You hit that canvas, stuff starts falling off that isn't supposed to fall off you. You know, it's uh, it's a tough business. The clock is ticking. So if there is a time, it is becoming now. And I know that there is a burning desire for him to take advantage of that time. It's just a matter of can he harness all the other things to focus on that long enough to, for us to get it done. You know, it's, it's, it's up to him. The platform is certainly there. WrestleMania, LA, two nights. We've already got 90 plus thousand, I believe, sold. His cousin. Uh, yeah, I mean. It's all there. Yeah, the, the, the tribal chief is, is sitting there waiting for him or anybody else that he wants to, right? It's magic, 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 magic of the highest of levels. In, in, the, in the city that he has become in some manner king of, right? And to have that experience one more time. I know that's gotta be burning a hole in him. I know that's gotta be a desire. It's just what else, what other things does he need to put aside and can he to make this all work? Cause he's juggling a lot. So uh, hopefully the answer is yes. I would love to see nothing more. Um, We'll, we'll, we'll see. So to quote you again, there, I'm saying there's a chance. By the way, you just gave me chills. That was an incredible promo. I mean, you may not be wrestling anymore, but what you just talked about, the energy up and down, I mean, I, you few, still got a few, it. A few years said. ago. That was tremendous. A few years ago, I was at a, a, a Grammys, whatever they call it, where they, no, no, not the Grammys, uh, Emmys. Mm-hmm. They do Emmy Awards and all the stuff, right? And we're at this red carpet event for it. And they got all these things laid out there. And they got a WWE moments and things. And there's a picture of Rock. And I, I, I believe he was standing over me. I, I don't recall. But it was a, a very close-up photo of him in an arena with us. And he's, it's right when he's about to do the people's elbow. And I, I walk up to the picture to look at it. And he is covered with goosebumps. Yeah. And I used to lay there, I, I took the people's elbow a lot. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I, you know, I could wait in there for him to do all his rigmarole. And I'm looking up at him and I would always think to myself, like, he's got goosebumps all over him. Like, you know, he's just like, it's, we're all just so into that connection with the fans. And so I took my phone out and took a close up of it. And uh, I said it to him and I sent him a note, I said, uh, zoom in, zoom in on your legs. Look at the goosebumps. You ain't getting that in Hollywood. Uh-huh. This, this was like four years ago or whatever. He wrote me back immediately. Dude, there's nothing like you know. When you've been there and you've done that, there's nothing else like it, and he knows that. You talk about that Michael Hayes moment at your wedding. Someone would have told you all those. I mean, if someone would have told me in 1998 when I'm seeing you, you know, knock people 
with sledgehammers and doing all the things that you do that we'd get an hour plus of your time here yeah. to talk about this uh, massive honor. I can't even thank you enough. What a privilege. And uh, I just want to wish you the best health thank first you. and foremost to your family, to everyone. And what you're doing now is really exciting and really inspiring and uh, has brought back, I think, a lot of good feelings from the fan base, from everyone who loves this business and this sport so much. Uh, you're doing a phenomenal job and it's just one month in. So I can't well, wait to thanks. see what you do for the next 30, 40 years. You're gonna have Thank a great you. run. And I would say perhaps the first <clears throat> official premium live event of the new era is this one, right? Yeah. This is the one where you have full reigns. SummerSlam kind of came in a week yeah, I later. Kinda, I kind of I took over a lot of what was, uh, what was already there. I right. inherited a lot of that, but yet it was set up magnificently. And then we sort of took it and, and sort of made it hours and and ran with it and it was a successful event so i don't want to discount that one fully right. <laughs> fair uh, enough but yeah. this is yours but 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 this one is a bit different and and uh yeah it's and and again special 30 years to be back here in in the uk to be back here at cardiff to have a stadium that will just be um, i haven't been to cardiff yet but my understanding is when you get there you can't walk two feet without seeing a banner a poster a sign people talking about it, people going crazy for it. it, it we have totally taken over. Um, it's going to be a special event, there's no doubt about it. He is Triple H, he is the one and only, kind enough to give us time. If you like the product, if you like Clash at the Cashel this Saturday, it's because of him. And it's because of uh, the great <laughs> talent team. on this roster. Clash at the Castle this Saturday on BT Sport, live from Cardiff, Wales. What a scene it is gonna be, of course, Roman Reigns versus the one and only, the UK's own Drew McIntyre. Does he get his moment? The moment that was robbed of him two years ago during the pandemic, we'll find out this Saturday again. Thank you so much. Congratulations and good luck much. to you. Triple H, thank you for watching another edition of Ariel Meets.